This is episode 23 with Dr. Happy. G'day legends and welcome to Your Life of Impact, where we connect with world-class athletes and coaches, health experts and enthusiasts, inspiring entrepreneurs and community leaders, all to teach you how to tap into your inner excellence. I'm your host, Brett Robbo, and I'm extremely grateful you're joining us today on your impactful journey. Dr. Happy is an internationally renowned leader in the field of positive psychology. He's a sought-after speaker and facilitator, consultant and coach, podcaster and best-selling author, spokesperson and brand ambassador. Dr. Sharp has three degrees in psychology, including a PhD, and established and ran one of Sydney's most respected clinical psychology practices, a highly regarded executive coaching practice, and is the founder and CHO, Chief Happiness Officer, of the Happiness Institute, Australia's first organisation devoted solely to enhancing happiness in individuals, families and organisations. I've known Tim for over two years now and I'm truly intrigued and inspired by his constant acts of kindness and grateful presence, which we dive into in this chat. Whilst it may seem like all we're going to talk about is happiness, that's far from the truth. Parts of this chat end up being like a great coaching session to help us understand powerful mindsets and powerful tools and strategies to help us enhance our lives even when we're already extremely optimistic lovers of life. In this episode, you will learn how to know when to focus on the journey and when to focus on the end goal, what happiness actually is, more tools on how to turn your adversity into your advantage, the most important thing we can instill in ourselves and in others to overcome tough life challenges, and Tim's six-step philosophy to choose every day to enhance your trajectory towards success and happiness. Before we dive in, I wanted to say that I truly am grateful for all the people who have taken the time and effort to either email me directly or through social media and tell me what value this podcast is bringing to their lives. That's my mission, to continually provide you with an abundance of value. So your feedback is super important. And a special shout out to a listener in Bahrain, can you believe it, who wrote a review on iTunes that says, each episode that I listen to, I proclaim that it's my favorite. Then I go back and listen to older episodes and proclaim that that was my favorite. I gain inspiration, information, and enlightenment from each episode. I really appreciate how there is practical advice on the action we can take and implement into our own lives. That's from Katie J, who said she's actually an Australian living in Bahrain. So thank you so much, Katie. That's awesome to hear and humbling to feel. You're a legend for providing that feedback. Well, what is happiness? That's both a simple and a difficult question to answer. Um, the simple answer is that's a form of positive emotion. It's a way of feeling good. But there's a whole range of positive emotions 
that include happiness, but also include other things like joy, satisfaction, contentment, calm. So there's a whole range of positive emotions, a whole range of ways that we can feel good. And that's one way, probably the simplest way of thinking about happiness. But at a broader or deeper level, happiness can also be considered as or defined as living a great life. Um, so my, my area of expertise for what it's worth is not so much happiness, but positive psychology. And positive psychology is the science of thriving and flourishing. So we think about happiness in that way. It does include positive emotions. Positive emotions are very important to live a good life. But it's also about much more than that. So it's also about meaning and purpose, for example, which goes deeper and longer than just uh, moment-to-moment positive emotions. It's about physical health and well-being, which is very intimately connected to our psychological health and well-being. Um, it's about attitude and mind state. It's about other people. You know, our relationships are very important for our happiness and for living a good life. Um, and it's about having fun and playing and those sorts of things as well. So if you put all of that together, that's what I would call real and meaningful happiness which is not just feeling good moment to moment, but living a good life over the longer term. So it's more about the the journey as opposed to the end goal? No, not necessarily. Well, yes and no. I think it's actually about both. So that's, a that's I guess, a cliche that's used a lot, and it's actually a nice way of thinking about it. Um, and I do like the idea that people, do, you know, I do encourage people to focus on the journey because too many of us, um, well, I was, and a lot of us were brought up to, you know, set goals, work hard to achieve those goals, and then when you achieve those goals, the assumption is you'll feel good. And, I mean, you would have seen this working with athletes. That's a lot of it's about, you know, what am I aiming towards? What am I going to work towards? And, and there's no doubt that... Um, well, achievement and accomplishment are great. You know, it feels fantastic to do a PB. It feels fantastic to tick off a goal. It feels fantastic to accomplish something, especially if we've been working towards it for weeks and weeks or months and months or years and years. So accomplishment is important, but so too is the journey. Because if we only focus on, if we, if we delay satisfaction or gratification until that, then we're going to be waiting a long time sometimes. And it means we can miss out on a whole lot of good stuff in between. But that being said, if we just focus on the journey and deny ourselves the satisfaction, we're also missing out on something. So it's really about both. And what, what I invite or what I encourage people to think about is, you know, what's the best thing for me to focus on here and now? Sometimes we want to focus on the goal because that'll keep us persevering through difficult times. Uh, sometimes if we focus on the journey, that can actually be pretty unpleasant, pretty difficult. But there are other times when we do want to focus on the journey to be here and now and just appreciate the moment for what it is, knowing that it will eventually get us to where we want to get to. So, yes, I'd say it's both. So making uh, choices, the daily choices that you make, you can essentially base around your happiness and your state of being in that way. What are some of the choices that you personally make mm. on a daily basis to ensure your happiness? Well, to go back to something I mentioned a bit earlier, uh, exercise is a really important one for me. Um, I try to exercise pretty much every day, at least five or six times a week. And that's um, what's well, partly, you know, it's partly a physical thing. There's no doubt about it. I like to be able to, I like to feel strong and fit and healthy and I like to be able to do stuff Um, but for me it's just as much if not more so a psychological thing it's just as much a it's a stress management tool it's an antidepressant it's a it's one of the I was actually saying to someone the other day as we walked out of the gym and he kind of jokingly said oh it's you know isn't it good that's over and I said well no I like doing it I like being there because for me it's also a form of meditation in a sense when I'm in the gym I, I have a, an over-busy mind sometimes, but when I'm in the gym and I'm working out, it's one of the few times that I, I really I rarely think about anything else. 
I'm just thinking about that next set, that's ne that next repetition, whatever it is, which for me is actually really important. So it's a, you know, it is a phys it's great for me physically, it's good for me psychologically, and it, for me it's a form of meditation and mindfulness as well. So that's one of my daily practices. One of the other ones that I've been, it's a fairly recent one, I suppose, but, um, but it's been particularly important for me is the practice of self-compassion. Um, I said I had an over-busy mind. Sometimes that over-busy mind can be very self-critical, uh, like a lot of people. Um, but one of the things that I found extremely helpful is the practice of self-compassion, which in simple terms involves, there's kind of three components to it. The first is mindfulness, which I'm sure many of your listeners would have heard of, and that's the practice of you know, just observing how I'm thinking, what I'm, you know, how I'm feeling, what's going on at the moment, and that, that in itself is a useful, very useful practice, we know from the research. Uh, but the second step is you know, when I do reflect, uh, there's a bit of a myth about mindfulness that mindfulness is like the secret to happiness. Well, but it's not really. It's actually misunderstood because mindfulness is about non-judgmental observation. So if I'm observing myself and my thoughts and feelings, sometimes what I'm observing will be unpleasant. You know, sometimes we have negative feelings. Sometimes we've done, you know, shit things happen. Uh, so mindfulness won't always lead to us feeling good. In fact, it can actually lead to us feeling bad. But the second step then is realizing that we're all together in our imperfections so we all have faults and failings and limitations and knowing that i'm not alone in making mistakes um might seem like a simple thing to some but for me it's a really important thing uh, you know i would say that's not just me we all do it in fact it's what makes us human it brings us together as humanity in a way and then but then the third step which is also so these are all important they all tie together is mindfulness um the connectedness in a sense and then the third bit is self-kindness treating myself as well or better than I would treat other people because I'm very good at being nice to other people um, and I'm very good at encouraging and supporting and um, motivating other people. Um, if I, or when I do that to myself just as well, I'm a lot better for it. So, so they're, they're two of the, I mean, and practicing acts of kindness, are, um, you know, one of the things I touched on earlier was other people. I mean, happiness, my definition of happiness is at least partly that happiness isn't just feeling good, it's also doing good. So I um, uh, try to help out other people as much as I can. As, as you know, there's a great organization called Batir that I try to do a lot of work for, which is around youth mental health, um, but also just doing nice things for my wife and my kids um, uh, in giving you receive so so they're probably oh and I suppose sorry the other one is is reminding myself of my purpose um, which uh, at a simplified level is you know if I can if I can leave the world slightly better than when I came in each and every day if I can do one good thing help one other person um, you know they're the sorts of things that I try to do on a regular basis brilliant mindset all directed around your happiness I love that encapsulation so I'm extremely happy right now and before we dive deeper into your abundance of value, I want to say Timbo or Sharpie or Dr. Happy, however you go by the most, welcome to your life of impact. Thanks for having me. What do you get the most? So you are known as Dr. Happy <laughs> and do you get Sharpie or Timbo or did I just make Timbo up? But, and, and also, where did Dr. Happy come from? Uh, well, there's a couple of questions in there. That's funny, Timbo. I didn't have that many nicknames when I was growing up but when I did they were pretty simple obvious ones like Timbo and Sharpie so um, I got Sharpie a lot that was because yeah my friends weren't all that imaginative so that was well, that's like me with Robbo yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's a pretty simple one and yeah so I got that and, but I did actually had well it was actually a, a sort of a a subgroup of my friends like there was actually two or three guys called me Timbo and I don't quite know why and I don't quite know why the others didn't but um but yeah and I still get that from time to time but probably probably Sharpie was the most most common one, or, or just Tim. Um, Dr. Happy is a slightly more complicated story. That 
Um, so that goes back quite a few years now. So I, when I, my background's in clinical psychology. So I spent the first half of my career as a, well, as an academic and then as a therapist. Um, but about, um, yeah, almost exactly 15 years ago, I suppose, I made the move from clinical psychology to positive psychology. So that shift from uh, treating deficits and distress to promoting strengths and enhancing happiness and well-being. So uh, the, I guess the metaphor that's often used is that traditionally psychologies help people go from minus 10 to zero and then positive psychology is about zero to positive 10. So it's more about performance coaching and, and like a lot of sports psychology, I suppose. So when I made that shift and around that time I set up the Happiness Institute, I started talking a lot more about happiness and thriving and flourishing. And at the time I was doing a lot of work with, um, well, a guy that you might know actually, his background was in athletics um, and then in sports training and now he's a bit of a guru in motivational and corporate speaking, Andrew May. I don't know if you've come across. But he, so he, but he, he now works for a big consulting firm. But, but him and I, we were doing a lot of work at the time and we did a lot of speaking together and he'd speak more on the sort of, at that stage, the physical aspects of living a great life so diet and exercise etc and i talk more about the psychological aspects we made a made a pretty good team actually but anyway he just um as a joke really and i don't think he gave it more than a second thought signed off an email once saying see you dr happy and it kind of stuck although i must admit uh i was actually quite i resisted it for a while in the early days because i thought without sounding immodest i had a good reputation i was pretty high, well regarded and i thought well hold on people aren't going to take me seriously <laughs> if i'm called dr happy um and so I thought, yeah, I thought it would detract from my credibility in a sense. But it became apparent pretty quickly, actually, that people liked it and it was catchy. And so after a while, I, I started to actively promote this, um, almost a character version of myself. It's, or sometimes I say it's my stage name. Um, that's who I am when I get up on stage, um, which is a sort of a larger-than-life version of me that, that's more positive than I would ever be, but... But it's it's people like it, and it's been been very helpful. <laughs> it works well. You mentioned Batir before, and we've known each other for a couple of years now, and we've connected through Batir, which is close to both of our hearts. We're sitting here in your office in the heart of Sydney, where I've visited quite a number of times into this office, and I've always entered and exited this office really energized and excited about the buzz uh, that that comes from in here. Now, tell us how and why you share, you've, you're sharing this space with Batir. <laughs> That's another long story. So I should just explain for those who don't know. So Batir, B-A-T-Y-R, um, .com.au is a fantastic organization uh, aimed at smashing the stigma associated with youth mental health. So they um, predominantly go into high schools and talk to kids about, uh, about mental health issues and that it's okay not to be okay. Um, and in fact, you know, we all have difficult times in our life. Um, what we want to do is sort of reach out and ask for help. So uh, they do a fantastic job. I'm, I'm obviously a big fan. Um, and about okay, probably four or five years ago, through a friend of a friend, I was introduced to Seb, who is the founder of Batir. And um, not long after, he asked me to join the board. So I joined the board um, yeah, probably four or five years ago. And spent a couple of years helping out Batir from the board until I discovered that I didn't really like being on the board because <laughs> it involved a lot of, um, well, a lot of legal stuff and financial stuff um, that I really wasn't interested in. I found quite, well, yeah, just didn't enjoy doing that. But I still love Batir. So 
anyway, long story short is we had a discussion. I stepped off the board and moved into another role, which is now f- formally known as the, I'm the chief happiness officer, uh, which means I do as much as I can, whatever I can, to support the team both in, so internally. So I support and mentor uh, a lot of the staff. I help a lot of the... Uh, I mean, they're a very young organisation, so a lot of them are in leadership and management positions without a lot of experience. So I do, I guess, kind of like management training and coaching. Uh, but I also do some of the more external facing work. So uh, all their speakers that go into schools, uh, by definition, have to be young people. So below 30, I've, I've, I've aged out of that. Um, but they also do some parent forums and community forums where I can help out as a quote-unquote expert, psychological expert, uh, but and also someone who is a parent. So, so that's I do a, as much as I can for them. And about, um, I guess about 18 months ago, they, well, yeah, at about the same time, I'd scaled back my business operations um, and had space in my office that I've, I've been in here for a long time. And they had to leave where they were. And so I was chatting to Sam, who's the CEO, and and I, you know, I said I've got this space. Do you want to move in? Um, they it, and yeah, look, it worked out really well. They've now taken over ninety nine percent of the office, and I'm lucky if I can get a seat some days. But as you said, it's fantastic. It's a great place to come to every day. Great bunch of people doing great work. There's a really good energy, um, and it's just, uh, I mean, they. They're often thanking me for what I do to help them, but I turn around and say, you give me much more than I give you because the, the thought that I'm even just a small part of what they're doing is incredibly satisfying. I'd say you're quite a big part, actually, with all that you, you're rippling there into every aspect of the organisation and you say it modestly, but you actually allowed them to knock walls down <laughs> and here you were with your own office space and now you're filled with it. Like you said, you're lucky to get a seat in your own office sometimes. Now, it makes sense from a surface level too because mental health and happiness have a direct relationship, as we just spoke about before, in positive states and negative mm. states. So you teaming up with a mental health organisation uh, and and offering everything that you just mentioned is is an obvious uh, decision. But is there a deeper reason why you've opened up your office, opened up your life, and opened up your heart to this brilliant organisation? There is, um, and this. Uh, so yeah, this is part of the reason I um, well kind of fell in love with you almost immediately. I, to be honest, when I um, yeah, so it was even it was a it was a friend of a friend of a friend of like it was quite a sort of distant connection, but it's one of those wonderful things that happens through LinkedIn or Facebook or where it happened. But to be honest, I'd never heard of Batir at the time. Although admittedly they were very small then. I think that they only had about three employees, now they've got fifty. Um, they were just starting out, so I guess you know, it wasn't such a huge surprise I hadn't heard of them. Um, but as soon as I did hear what they were doing, it just rang so true to me because what Again, just to re- and I'll come back to answer your question, but to what they're doing is really quite unique in a lot of ways. There are lots of great organisations offering great services, you know, psychologists and mental health experts, all, all sorts of people doing great things off, you know, and different different things will work for different people, but trying to help people um, with therapies and interventions who are suffering. But the sad reality is, we know that for you know, out of all of those people that need help, only about twenty percent actually put up their hand and go and get help. So there's a significant number of people who are suffering in silence, in isolation, who aren't going to a psychologist, aren't even going to their GPs or whoever it might be. And there's various reasons for that, but a lot of it is about the stigma. And this is where Batir come in. So they're, they're about smashing that stigma so more people can get help. And that, as a psychologist, as in a, a, someone who'd been a lot of psychologists, I just thought that was fantastic because I, I remember sitting in my room and sitting in the hospital where I used to work 
feeling really proud of the work we were doing. We, you know, I did it and we did. I had a great team. We did fantastic work. But I remember thinking, how many more people are out there who aren't coming in? And Batir, and there's other organisations doing it. Thankfully, Batir are now making it easier for people to come and see experts who are providing great treatment. So as a professional, it really, it really hit home. But um, as you've hinted at, there was also a very personal reason, which um, I hadn't really, well, I hadn't spoken to basically anyone about up until very, very recently. And that's that I've had, I, I have, I guess still present tense, uh, a history of depression. Uh, and in my uh, well, earlier years, or just after school, had some very, very bad, uh, very serious bouts of depression to the extent that I tried to take my life on two occasions, um, which I'd never, so apart from my immediate family, um, no one had knew about that, none of my friends. Well, I, I actually, it's funny, I assumed my friends had known but they didn't. Um, so apart from my immediate family and then more recently my wife, I talked to her about it. Um, but no one had really known. And, and largely because after those first few years, um, I got a lot better and had a, you know, and I'd had a lot of very good years through once I sort of found my path in psychology and achieved a degree of success and a lot of satisfaction and then got married. And so I had a lot of really good times. But then there have been a few ups and downs since um, for different sorts of reasons. Um, but I remember as soon as I heard about Batir, I mean, and so one of the things that I didn't do very early on was reach out and ask for help. Um, because as a young, and it was, was pretty young and stupid then, but also as, as a male, unfortunately males tend to be um, not as good as females at this. I, I thought I was the only one. I thought no one would understand. I thought I'd be judged. People would think I was crazy. And admittedly that was, you know, years ago now where things weren't as open. It was, you know, it was before Beyond Blue and before there were a lot of these great, you know, before Are You OK Day and all those things. So it was a bit tougher then. But I just think, as soon as I heard about Batirium, I'm thinking, my God, I wish that was around when I was at school. I wish I'd... It, there'd been something like that because if I'd, well, eventually I did get help, but if I'd got help earlier, um, well, that would have, would have been a good thing. So, um, yeah, so there's a very personal connection to this idea of smashing the stigma. Um, and it was funnily enough, when I, so partly as a result of Batir, and uh, I guess a whole lot of other things as well, I have in the last few years more spoken out more about it publicly um, and I've written about it. And, and I before I sort of really went public with it, um, Probably the first bit was a, a, a chapter in a book that I edited a few years ago and then I spoke at a few big conferences. I um, sent an email to uh, – well, I'd spoken to yeah, my immediately family, but a couple of my most, – well, most of my good friends, a lot of old school friends, and, and basically said, you know, you might hear or see something about this. And I, so I actually sent them a version of the chapter that was about to be published. And I, to be honest, I'd assumed they'd all go, well, yeah, you know, obviously we knew about that and thanks for telling us about that. But they were shocked. They were surprised. And that, that really surprised me. Because I, th I thought, if my best friends didn't even know, what does that mean about a relationship? What does it mean about me? I guess on the one hand, it showed how good I'd got at covering it up. And that's something that a lot of us do. We get very good at putting on a, you know, a public face. Um, but it was quite... Um, it was quite sad in a way. I thought that my, you know, these people I would have thought and they would have thought they were my best friends in a way. Um, and in fact, one of them, one of my best friends, it was one of my groomsmen, you know, he just, he said, why didn't you tell us? Like, and I, you know, there was all sorts of reasons. But, but anyway, coming back to Batir, that's, you know, that's one of the reasons I'm very passionate about it because I, every time I see them or hear about them going into schools, I think, well, if they can help one kid out there not go through what I went through or even just, well, they'll go through it but go through it a bit more easily or get help a bit more quickly, I think it's probably the main thing, then, um, you know, that's a fantastic thing. 
That's really interesting and it relates back to what you're talking about. So you were saying that you, you suffered from it uh, back in the day and but you still experience bouts of it and I think that's so natural because as we know, life operates in peaks and troughs and uh, but you talking about the way that you opened up what is happiness and how do you choose on a daily basis and, and just tapping into those internal resources that you have. I think it's very enlightening and thank you for sharing that because it just shows that you know we are all human and we are all building off our experiences people can't look at dr happy and think he you know life is all just roses and and it's always been like that well like, i get asked that all the time you know there's some people ask all the time um you know is dr happy um happy all the time and fear even before i sort of I, I sort of told coming out of the closet before I sort of came public about it. I, I would still say no, of course I'm not happy all the time. But now I, I become increasingly more hap- more specific about the fact that I'm not happy all the time, um, because that is really really important. I think, and that was one of the things I was concerned about with the Doctor Happy tag that I didn't want people to think there's this some sort of, you know, almost cartoon character smart because that's that's impossible. No one is like that. And again, even though it was. Um, well, it, was, it wasn't that difficult, but even though it was a bit difficult, I, I'm glad I did it, and I think it's important that I did it, because people still come up to me, and at the end of, after I've spoken at conferences or things, people come up and say, well, again, we wouldn't have thought Dr. Happy would <laughs> but but they say thanks, um, because, and the reality is that every si- whoever is listening out there today, we know from the statistics that a significant proportion of them will at some stage in their lives experience some episode of mental ill health, whether it's depression or anxiety or something like it. Those that haven't, or those that don't, or those that haven't, will almost certainly know someone that has. We know this from the statistics. So close to 100% will either be directly affected or indirectly affected. So if it's not you, it might be your um, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, children, parents, friend, whatever, so colleague. Um, and so this is why it's so important that it's everywhere. And I think to some extent we, well, we, we just can't be scared of it because we know that being scared of it and brushing it under the carpet just we know it doesn't work um it, it just makes things worse and I, again i think well if if i can speak about it and if that helps one person out there uh, to suffer less then that's got to be a good thing well yeah. that's the thing you can not only speak about it from experience and people might resonate with that in the back of that you've got an extremely big tool belt to help people uh you speak about your experience and what you utilize but then what you utilize with uh, implementing that into other people's lives to help them through and you know defining their values and their visions and understanding their belief systems and creating these choices every day to align with happiness now my question is is society actually chasing happiness and you work to shift people's mindsets a lot or do you more take on the role similar to what we we're just saying of a coach to help guide people through situations in their life that have led them to feeling unhappy in a sense oh, well both um so i mean that kind of sums up the difference between my well in a si- simple way my early career which is as a clinical psychologist was helping people who were unhappy basically so for some reason or other they'd come to me or come to wherever i was working at the time uh with and in those days you know quite serious levels of depression anxiety relationship difficulties eating disorders, but whatever it was. So, so in the early days, m- almost all of my focus, these people were unhappy, how can we help them get back to some sort of healthiness, whatever. Then when I moved into more of a coaching role, 
was a bit more of the other one. It was a bit more, okay, I'm actually going okay. And in fact, a lot of the people I saw were quite successful. I mean, we're in the CBD of Sydney, as you mentioned. So, well, you know, I'm surrounded geographically by a lot of successful people. You know, these are bankers and lawyers and business people who, um, uh, you know, if you're working in the city, you're probably earning slightly above average, you prob- et cetera, et cetera. So, but in some way or other, they weren't happy with all of their lives. So they might have been going well at work, but their relationship was struggling. Or maybe that was okay, but their physical health, you know, they were overweight or they were unfit. Or um, or maybe they got to a certain point in their career and realized, well, this really wasn't where they were supposed to be. So so that, that second group is people who are actually doing okay, but they want to do better than okay. So there are two groups of people, one who are suffering who want to suffer less, the other group who are doing okay want to do better. The reality is most of us have kind of got a foot in both of those camps uh, if you look at different parts of our lives. So almost everyone will have some part of their life you know, that's not going that great, um, that might be either severely distressed or dysfunctional and needs to be fixed. But most of us also have parts of our lives that are doing okay, but we could do better. And I suppose that that's a big part of positive psychology is not just settling for okay, but aiming for well, what we technically call thriving and flourishing or high performance or success, happiness, whatever you want to call it. And that's, that's one of the things that I really encourage people to do is to, most of the people, I'd be guessing based on what we know about the demographics of people who listen to podcasts, that most of these people are probably doing okay, if not better than okay. But they want to do even better still. That's why they're listening here. Well, that's what I was sort of getting at because I believe that Everyone in life, regardless of their situation, should have a coach of some sort. And I look at you, I'm glad you said that you moved more into coaching because I look at you as a coach and I see people that will wait and they will react and look for help when something goes wrong. But what I actually believe is that instead of just trying to survive and then waiting till that happens, why not aim to thrive and like you said before and to do that, don't think that you have to do it all on your own. There's coaches, teachers, therapists in every aspect that can help you in that way and I just feel that looking at your skills over the last couple of years, listening to you speak now, I look at you as a coach that can tap into so many different areas for people in different uh, situations and I'm glad you explained it like that because there is a lot of people who who aren't unhappy or depressed or suffering in that way but they don't have fulfillment and I think that's what you were getting at before with these quote unquote successful people that have really good jobs and on the surface level it looks like they're doing okay and they might be really proud of that part of their lives but there's other areas where they realize they're incongruent or there's no alignment there so they need that coaching and it's not like you need to uh, they don't they shouldn't wait until they're spiraling even more just accept uh, that that okay I'm, I'm actually not feeling 100% I'm successful on the surface but I'm not fulfilled what have I got to do who can I reach out to where can I take this oh look I um, totally agree <laughs> not surprisingly 100% and you and I yeah, I think we're obviously on the same page there um, and it's a bit like um, so for example I think I mentioned earlier I go to the gym pretty regularly um, at least once a week I'll see a personal trainer now I don't see this guy um, because I don't know how to exercise or I'm not seeing him for rehabilitation. I'm seeing him because he can help me get to a level that I probably can't get to my own. You know, he he changes up my routine every six weeks. He pushes me just that bit further or harder than I would on my own. Um, so I don't see him because I've got a deficit necessarily. I see him because I want to achieve, you know, I want to make the most of my time in the gym. Similarly, I mean, you know, there's other examples. I go to my, uh, I go to the dentist once a year. Um, probably should you know, do it more maybe, but that's not because I've got a tooth necessarily but to prevent 
problem. So most people see their dentist or a personal trainer or even someone like your accountant once a year to make sure everything's in order and to try and, you know, get the best out of it. Um, there are athletes, that, you know, Usain Bolt probably has a coach not because he can't run but so he can be the best he can be. So if you look at professional athletes or sports people, they all have coaches to be the best and I totally agree. There's no reason why or well, I would encourage people to think about having a coach um, to be uh, to be the best in life. And this is something, so when, when the coaching movement first started, and it's a relatively new movement, sort of maybe 10 or 15 years, a lot of psychologists and mental health professionals got really upset. Um, you know, they're stealing our territory, they're stepping into our, you know, this is our area. Uh, they're not qualified to do what we do. And and look, you know, to some extent, there's there's a reasonable argument there. But but I actually thought, um, and I'm, I wasn't a normal psychologist because I was always a bit more, I suppose, a bit more entrepreneurial and a bit more, I thought a bit differently. But I actually thought, well, this is really exciting because these guys are selling a different message. They're saying... Again, like you said earlier, you don't have to wait and come to us when your life's falling apart. Don't wait to that. We'll help you. Get in now. Get in early. Prepare for difficulties. Plan for success, and work on that every day. Because if you, you know, if you wait until, um, if you wait till things fall apart, you've got a lot more work to do, and it's a lot harder to do. But if you engage in preventative, and then we're not just preventing distress and dysfunction, but promoting and enhancing health and wellness. Um, so many, and I've seen this over the years, so many people can live so much more than they are and enjoy so much more than they do. That's right. And even uh, just on a little bit of a, a similar path, but to tap into mentors, and I teach a lot of people about mentoring, but I think there's a difference between investing into coaching and being guided by mentors. They're both really powerful and they'll both take you forward if you utilize it properly. But I think there's a real power in actually thinking about, you know, it's that old saying of everywhere you go, there you are. So I always say, why not take the best version of yourself with you? And how do you do that? You seek uh, pr- professional, I guess, uh, help, guidance, coaching, teaching along the way. Totally agree. And we, so we were actually touching on this in a different way before we started recording. And, and uh, you know, when I started out at a similar stage to where you are now, when I, so when I left, I, I, all of my training was to be an academic and a therapist and to work within a hospital or public health setting, basically. When I went into private practice, I grew uh, quite quickly what was a very successful business. So all of a sudden, as well as being a psychologist, I was an employer, a business development manager, a salesman, all of these things, which I had no idea about. You know, I didn't know how to run a business. I didn't even know what a profit and loss statement was, none of this stuff. So, But I went out and got help. So I went and talked to my accountant. I went and talked to, I got coaching in public speaking, for example, and even some sales coaching and all of this stuff. And, and I didn't feel embarrassed about that at all. In fact, uh, people were encouraging me because it was a great thing to do. So why then do we, you know, no, no one would look down upon that if you pay someone or seek expertise to become better in a certain area. Why is it any different with our life? In fact, you know, what could be more important than paying someone or finding someone who can help you be the best you in your life. I mean, it's, it's sort of absurd that people have any qualms about that. Okay, I can turn this into a little bit of a coaching session. Let's just keep <laughs> it surface level. But what about someone like me? I'm very grateful that I haven't experienced periods of unhappiness, so to say. I've definitely experienced periods of grief and emotional sadness and, and I have my dips. So I talked about peak and trough there where I'm not living optimally and I, I do experience that. But I wouldn't say that I feel like I've experienced periods of unhappiness. So what if, if I came to you as an optimistic lover of life and at life at the moment, I'm on a high. I'm absolutely loving my journey. But I, I want to optimize i come to you tim and i say this is where i'm at what, how would you approach that uh well i'd 
if, if this is a proposition, I'd find out a bit more about what you mean, what you're loving and where this is at. But probably my, uh, I mean, it depends a bit on the context and how you can do it. But probably my first um, line of thought would be, okay, that's great, but where do you want to get to? So if everything's fantastic now, that's great. But if things were even better, or I mean, it's a sort of classic um, coaching question, which is if I waved a magic wand and everything was just fantastic, the best that you can ever possibly imagine, um, in 12 months' time, say, where would you be? What would you be doing? Who would you be doing it with? So I'd try to get you to paint a picture, the most positive picture in, of, of, of the most positive future. I love that. So having your visions and your goals and knowing where you're going so you can make choices every day congruently with where you're heading and things like that. Yeah, well, so then the next step. So once we've got that picture painted as clearly as possible, we then work back from that, break that down and say, well, okay, you know, this is where you want to get to. And so, I mean, 12 months is arbitrary. You can look shorter or longer depending on... Some people are better at thinking into the future than others. Uh, personally, I find it hard to go much beyond about 12 months. That's kind of the best time frame for me. But some people talk about, you know, three-year plans, five-year plans. It doesn't matter that much, I don't think, as long as it is, you know, but it, you want it to be aspirational and inspirational. But, yeah, then what you do, then what I do is is work with you. And it's a very collaborative approach to break that down and say, okay, if that's where you want to be in 12 months' time, what do we need to do in, in the next six months to get there? And then what do you need to do in the next one month and the next week and the next day? And, yeah, look, as you said, basically, you know, what a good coach would help someone do is help them you know at the end of that process which you know you won't necessarily all achieve in one session but however long it takes at the end of that process um you would know exactly what you need to do each and every day to get closer just like i'm sure you do with your athletes and just yeah just like if you'd look at and talk to or read about the most successful people in the world and i mean success in the broadest possible way not just financial success but health and happy talk to the happiest people every day they know what they want to achieve today they, they wake up with purpose and this is where i mean to go back to something we touched on earlier i think this is one of the biggest uh, one of the areas where the most people lack is that clarity of purpose um a lot of people know what they can do to feel happy today a lot of people know you know and they'll go out on a friday night and have drinks and party with their friends and that's all great but that's sort of that sort of happiness doesn't last very long. It doesn't go very deep. It's good. It's great to have fun with your friends. It's great to go out and party. Um, but if we really want to live our best lives, we need to look a bit beyond that. And uh, that's what the, quote-unquote, the best people do. And you mentioned before that you're very in touch with your purpose and what you believe it is. And you've even broken your purpose down to a daily basis. And like you said, injecting that that helping people on a daily basis is part of your purpose so I think that's a really valid point because I often talk to people and uh, coach people around purpose being part of what you need to establish to understand like you said to know what you're living for but it's really cool to hear you talk about even breaking your purpose down to to your daily daily being now you've written a few books and I'll admit I've only read one of them (laughs) but I've uh, I've also brought extra copies of that book. Actually, no, that's that's a lie. I tried to buy extra copies, but you actually gave me a copy because I said, Tim, I'm getting this one from mum. And you sure. said, here, take it. Please don't pay. But then I remember I got another one from you later and I said, I put the money in your hand. I said, this time you've got to take it. It's not for mum. You've got to take it. So I've re-gifted that one. And this book is called Transformation, Turning Tragedy into Triumph. Tell us about this book and also what you learned from the experience of writing this book. Yeah, well, that was um, 
so that was part of my coming out story in a sense. So, so mine was one of the stories. But um, what I, if I go back a few years to the the first um, the, the first seed, I suppose that grew into that book, I, I can't remember. I think I just, I think I was flying back from a, a, you know, speaking at a conference, or I was travelling back from someone. I was just thinking, or I just had a had a really interesting conversation with someone. I can't actually remember who it was at the time, but I do remember thinking, what an amazing person! How lucky am I that I I spend, um, you know, a good part of my life meeting, talking to, talking with um, amazing people from all walks of life. Um, and I remember just being really grateful that I'd, um, uh, you know, that I'd got to this point in my life where I'd, you know, been able to coach and speak to and mentor um, some fascinating and inspirational people. Um, and then what I, and then I realized, that, you know, one of the, one of the most inspirational things about a lot of these people was their, um, their resilience, their overcoming of adversity. Um, that's not, not all of them. That, and that's not to say you have to have had that to be an interesting or inspirational person. But, but for me, uh, you know, that was sort of what, and partly because of some of my personal issues, I suppose, you know, that was a, that was one of the really attractive aspects of some of these people is that in some way or other they'd all um, overcome something to be where they were. And then I remember thinking, well, if I find this really interesting, other people might find it really interesting. And yeah, long story short is that led to the idea of the book. Um, because what I, when I started to think about it, there, there are actually lots of books. So a lot of people have written autobiographies or had biographies written about them, you know, those, those challenge, you know, overcoming challenges and adversity. But more often than not, it was just one person telling his or her story. And, and I knew some of these people. But what I start, as I started to think a bit more about it, I thought, well... Um, you know, there's a lot of people that might look at that particular story and say, oh, that's fantastic, that's inspirational. There are other people who look at it and say, well, I don't really relate to that person for whatever reason, you know, gender issues or age issues or because of the nature of the diversity. But then I thought if you actually had a collection of them, and so there's, I can't remember now, I think there's 12 stories in the book, there'd be something for everyone. And people would look at it and say, oh, maybe you're not, you know, that one doesn't really get me, but these ones do. And uh, so I like the idea of having different voices telling different stories in different ways, overcoming very different forms of adversity. So um, so that's what the book is. It's it's a collection of stories of people who have, um, you know, there's a transformation uh, from tragedy to triumph. And some of them are, some of them are mental health issues, but some of them are, are physical. The one guy, for example, had a, um, well, a horrific motor vehicle accident, massive um, physical um, uh, injuries, uh, loss of a limb, etc., etc. So his was, I mean, there were, not surprisingly, psychological issues attached to that, but his was predominantly a physical, overcoming of a physical one. There's, um, uh, there's a guy who, who hadn't directly experienced it, but his best friend had taken his life. Um, another guy who was a, um, uh, where he was a, football player and then boxer who suffered drug and alcohol and mental health issues, a woman who is, has been a very good friend of mine for a while who, who had a traumatic incident where she lost her husband, father and two children in one incident. So, yeah, all sorts of different stories. And I, I guess what I wanted people to take from that or what I hope people would take is that no matter what life you live, at some stage there will probably be some challenges. Hopefully not as big as what some of these people have faced, but it might be. But no matter how big or small or what the type is, there are ways of getting through these things. Um, and we all have that strength within us if we can find it. And I suppose what I hoped is people will read those stories and think, well, shit, if they can do it, then maybe I can do it. And if they can do it, 
what can I learn from them? And so within each story, at the end of each story, what I tried to do is pull out sort of key lessons that to make it a bit easier for people to, to take away something practical. I teach people in a very uh, around turning adversity into their advantage. And from the experience in my Paralympic uh, coaching and therapy years over the past 13 years you see it on a daily basis having experienced it myself having been around other people that have experienced adversity and I sort of come up with this model recently and I wanted to run it by you to see what your thoughts are around it it's not this is the way that I teach people that they can turn their adversity into their advantage and it comes with the the mindset of that nothing ever happens to you it only ever happens for you. And that can be a real shift uh, for people and hard for them to accept because I, th- I think about major tragedies and you would think, well, how can someone close to me losing their life or how can me almost losing my life, this, um, this has happened to me. How can I think, no, no, this has happened for me? And you start to shape, reshape your trajectory from that to look forward uh, and make choices on how this has happened for you. So the model sort of sits around people needing to have identified their core values. So people need to understand what their core values are because we all sort of live by values, but we often haven't identified them. Also understanding that our belief systems are not rigid and that we should visit our belief systems and shift our uh, our perception there if need be. Uh, having our purpose, so the one of the angles is the purpose and and beginning to identify and live by and understand what your purpose is and then the fourth quadrant is your having your visions and your goals so similar to what you were saying there how you would coach me so you know what you're working towards and to me in alignment or you know all of those things coming together is congruency or alignment and that's the way that we can help people turn their begin to turn their adversity into their advantage Oh, sounds great. Um, and it obviously it touches on quite a lot of the issues that we've, um, concepts that we've already talked about. I think, to be honest, one thing uh, I think we need to be a bit careful about. So there is a, a school of thought that suggests everything happens for a reason. I don't accept that. And I, don't, I think that can actually be quite damaging sometimes. Now, it depends a lot on your belief system. So, for example, so people that come from a strong Christian or religious faith will, will and, and I guess like anything if that works for you that's fine I, I think there are um, situations where people can find that offensive though to tell them that this is happening because it's almost like you asked for it and I think we need to be very careful about that I don't know if that's necessarily what you're suggesting I don't think it was but but I do think there, there are there have been some other approaches in the past that have effectively said that that everything happens for reason and I think um, again, I, I wouldn't entirely agree with that all the time. What what I do think we can do though is whether or not it happened for a reason, whether or not there was a, um, we can make something of it. We can, um, you know, what we can't control what happens to us, but we can control what we do with it or how we respond to it, which I think is largely what you were saying. Exactly, it's a mindset shift towards acceptance and the beginning of moving in the helpful direction as opposed to stuck in the unhelpful state. And in that sense, I'd say yes, and that's really what all these people in the book did. They, yeah, and, and but it wasn't always easy. And in fact, it took some of us, um, you know, months or months or years and years to get to that point because, I mean, by definition, for example, if you're depressed it's hard to see the future. And even if you can see the future, it's hard to believe that you can do something about it because part of depression is you know, is bleakness, is pessimism, is hopelessness and helplessness. So you know, it's very hard to, to talk to someone about setting a vision when they can barely see beyond the next you know, two minutes sort of thing. 
So it is very difficult, and you know, similarly with grief, for example, it can be, um, you know, it can be overwhelming at times if you've had a si- significant loss in your life, and you, at the t- by definition, at the time, you think it's going to last forever. You think these horrible feelings, this blackness, whatever. Um, but that's again part of why, you know, part of what was behind that book, and part of uh, again some of these stories that you're telling us is, is that we hopefully, if people can see, well, other people have got through that, you know, it did get a bit easier for that other person. He or she did this and helped them. Well, maybe it might. Maybe if I did something like that, I can get through it. Then, very much so. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm glad you uh, deciphered that a little bit because I, what I put out there, it's not. I'm not saying that's a model that has to be taught, but it's just sort of from experience, and that's how I believe I can help people through. So I love what you're saying there around um, just being cautious of challenging people's mindsets when you've got to take into consideration religion and what part of the grieving process or whatever the situation might be. Completely agree. Well, that's something, and maybe that's come through, uh, you know, I suppose experience and maturity and your listeners probably can't see the grey hairs, but, you know, that, all of that, that There's sort of... There's not that many. Yeah. Oh, hang on, on the beard <laughs> there is, but not on the top of the head. But I suppose if, if there's one area that my thinking as a coach or therapist has changed the most... It's, it's probably in that area about that understanding everyone's coming from their own world. They're even, I mean, so this morning, for example, I was having a, a fascinating discussion around, around masculinity or, or what, um, and I started to do some research and they said, well, masculinities in that there's plural, you know, there's more than one type of masculinity. But I mean, this is something I spent, over, you know, I did three degrees in psychology and spent 10 years formally studying psychology. We didn't have one discussion about that, about... You know, and, and given that you know there's a significant number of men that at some stage or other would walk in the doors, and yet, but this is really important. What does it mean to be a man, to be a male? Um, and yet, I didn't study that at all. Similarly, we had very little study, like about cultural differences. And yet, you know, here in Australia, this is we're one of the one of the most multicultural societies in the world, and yet we don't often talk about you know what is what is some someone that's come from a um, you know say a, 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 an Anglo Celtic sort of British background, I suppose, what do mental health mean to them and what are, versus someone that's maybe come from Asia or someone that's come from, or from any other part of the world. We know for a fact that happiness, for example, means different things in different cultures. And similarly, we know that sadness and depression has different meanings, but we don't talk a lot about this. And I think that's at a, at a broader level, if we're talking about you know, success and happiness and thriving and flourishing, I need to understand what does that really mean to you and to some extent how is that influenced by your cultural background, your family background, your religious beliefs, even political beliefs to some extent. These things are all really important which just means, to finish off I suppose, that there's no one answer um, and that's great, that's cool but we've, it's important to remember that. But. I guess the one thing that does connect it all is is the word hope when you talk about to, to actually move forward. And I know that from your adversity uh, book that, you know, a lot of things that you identified is that people who had hope could actually bounce forward from their adversities. And I'm sure you're aware of the book from Viktor Frankl, A Man's Search for Meaning. And, you know, way back then he, he identified that and developed his whole logotherapy um, process around that so as much as uh, you've got to take all that cultural indifferences into um, into mind I think having that idea that if everyone can identify what their what their hope is and what they're living for and what they're striving for then that's the common connectedness oh that, that's I totally agree again it's a really good point and I never forget one of my um, very early on in my clinical psychology career uh, 
someone who I, he was actually only a few years older than me, but he but um, yeah, someone who I'd looked up to, and he's now he's now a professor of clinical psychology at one of the universities here in Sydney, and he's a um, re- he's a really an international leader in his field. But this was years ago now, and I remember attending a workshop that he he was delivering, and he. Um, Amongst all of the other wonderful things he said, one of the things he said, as, as a psychologist, but you could the same as a coach or as a whatever, one of the most important things, if not the most important thing we do is instill hope. And you could say, I mean, you coaching athletes would be the same thing. That, that hope would, might be the gold medal or the world championship. But uh, in some way, and similarly as a parent, you know, this is in some way or other, um, my job or part of what I want to try and do is help help that whoever that individual is, um, see something better yeah imagine something you know more happiness greater health more productivity whatever it might be better performance and then work out a way to get there but yeah but without that hope um well where's the motivation or the inspiration going to come from so this is something i ask all my guests because i'm all about action and I'd like you to let us know, let all the listeners know what's something that they can implement into their lives, what's some action that they can take to become more impactful in their own lives and in their communities. Can I say, um, can I give you six steps? Please do. So one of the um, in one of my very one of my earlier books I developed a model which has basically been the basis of all of my coaching pretty much all of my work ever since over the last 10 plus years um and it's uh, it's based on the idea that happiness or success whatever you call it is something you choose and choose is both a philosophy for uh, and you touched on this earlier really in a different way but it's a philosophy of taking responsibility for your life so you know, this you know this is you know, this is up to me it's up to me to determine what i want to do and how i'm going to get there and even if i can't control everything i can control how i respond to it and so it's really it's about taking positive action and again being responsible for our lives but choose is also an acronym that stands for six key strategies most of which or all of which i think we've touched on but hopefully it can act as a good mnemonic a good reminder for people of what they are and i think it's, so if we if we can wake up each and every day and choose um, then we can live a better, by, so better life. So if I just quickly go through the six ones. So C stands for clarity. We talked about this earlier, clarity of meaning and purpose. Um, clarity of values, as you said. Um, too many people don't know that. They just wander through life and you know, and they, they might live an okay life and that's okay. <laughs> but if you want better than okay, you really need to have clear a clear purpose, clear meaning, clear values, clear priorities. Uh, the H is for healthy living. Uh, again, we touched a bit on this earlier, but you know it's hard to be happy if you're sick and tired all the time. It's hard to be happy. It's hard to be productive and live our best lives if we're um, you know, unfit, eating crap, um, not getting enough sleep, etc. So it's basic things, but stuff that, as I'm sure you know, so many people can improve. You know, I mean, I read a horrific statistic just the other day that here in Australia, uh, only about 20% of Australians are getting the recommended levels of vegetables every day. I mean, it's just, just it's really quite frightening. Um, and we look at the levels of obesity and lack of exercise, sleep deprivation. You know, you just can't function at your best if if your body's failing, you know, you know, if you're failing your body in that way. So, so healthy living is an important part. Not, and it's not just about the physical, but that also ties closely to, to mental health as well. Uh, the O, so that's uh, clarity, health. The o, first O is for optimism. We touched a lot on this. That's that's obviously the right mindset. Uh, it's about having that hope. It's uh, it overlaps a bit with gratitude and appreciation. So focusing on what's going well, or if something's not going well, uh, focusing on it in a constructive way. So how can I solve this? Um, <coughs> and then the second O is about others. So that's about our relationships, and uh, we we have touched on this a few times, but it's important to 
re-emphasize, I think, that uh, none of us can or should feel that we can do all of this on our own. You know, the quality of our relationships and our connectedness um, is very important. And that's all f- that's from our intimate relationships to, you know, my wife and kids and then our, our good friends, our colleagues, or even some of our professional relationships like we've talked about getting a coach or a psychologist or a mentor. Um, those things make a massive difference, can make a massive difference to, to the quality and success of our lives. Um, the S is about strengths. Um, and this is very much a positive psychology take on that. Uh, so historically, clinical psychology is focused on our weaknesses. Like, you know, where are you going wrong and how can we fix it? Um, and look, that's okay to a point. But what positive psychology always asks is, 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 is where are you going well? What are you best at? What are your natural attributes and talents and how can we make the most of that? And, you know, interestingly, that's something that sports psychology has always done much better than clinical psychology up until recently, but certainly positive psychology is focused a lot on strengths-based approaches, uh, finding out what we're best at and, and using that as much as possible. And then the final letter of the choose is E, uh, which is about enjoying life. Um, you know, life's far too important to take too seriously sometimes. And as serious as some of these issues have been, it's also important to have fun and to play and to laugh and uh, muck around a bit as well. So, um, again, if you can wake up every day and choose, um, and make those choices, um, you're pretty much guaranteed to have a better quality of life. Brilliant. I love that. And I'll uh, link all that up in the show notes for people too, the, that acronym to so they can take action on it. I really value that. Now, before we dive into the fast five questions, uh, you're aware of our Life Tees campaign where we uh, donate 100% of the profits to charity from the shirts and you've been, I thank you deeply because you've actually purchased those shirts and you've helped us support that. And I do have uh, one of my top values is giving, so I want to give you another shirt and it's, oh, awesome. uh, it's a Life Tee. It's actually for uh, either your beautiful wife or if you want to re-gift it, it's a female version. So we've got one there for you and... Before we go into the fast five, we've got a two-part question. So where can our listeners learn uh, more about you? So where's your website uh, and your social media tags? And how can I and the listeners help you on your journey? Uh, well, thanks for the opportunity. So probably the simplest answer is uh, my website, which is um, au. And from that, they can subscribe to a weekly newsletter, which is free, uh, or get to any of my social media sites. So you can find me on Twitter, which is Dr. Happy, uh, Instagram, which is the Happiness Institute, uh, and Facebook is both, actually. So, uh, yes, yeah, so if they go along there, they can find all of that, um, which would be great. Uh, in terms of you helping, I, I suppose, uh, is to spread the messages, to share my tweets, share my posts, because I... Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> at the risk of sounding a bit cliche, um, the more happiness, the better. And and it, it, you know, if I can think that my messages are getting out to more and more people, so if you guys can share them out there, and um, then you know that's wonderful because I don't think um, you know I don't think we can have too much um, positive uh, positivity out there. And I do follow your tweets and I like yeah. them and share them and I think it's a great uh, easy little way for everyone to communicate mm. with you. Once again, I'll link all that up in the show notes for the listeners. Okay, so here's the fast five questions. Don't give yourself too much time to think about it, okay? We'll be uh, happy with the answers anyway. What's one habit you wish you could change? One bad habit that I wish I could change? Oh, probably that self-criticism, which I am trying to change. <laughs> what makes you feel absolutely pumped and exhilarated and energized? <laughs> Exercising and well, probably and seeing, helping other people like the tea or helping my kids do something, I suppose is probably a good thing too. Brilliant. Have you ever washed a dog? 
I have, but not for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Oh, gosh. It's probably changed at different parts of my life, but at the moment, like right here and now, I'd probably be lighten up and enjoy life. And what are you most grateful for in your life right now? Without a doubt, 100%, my wife, who's been, well, he's tremendous and loving in so many ways, but who's been... Um, well, I was going to say an incredible support through some of my difficult times, but also just a fantastic partner through a lot of the good times. Dr. Happy, you're a legend. You're a great leader because you walk the walk and talk the talk of a congruent, happy, healthy life and show us all what is possible. Keep shining your happy light to the world. Thanks so much for having me, mate. Every day, we get to choose clarity, healthy living, optimism, others, strengths, enjoy life. What a humble, genuine expert that is making a massive impact in thousands of people's lives. I'm grateful to call Dr. Happy a mentor. Once again, the power of investing into your own coach was highlighted in how it truly will take your life to the next level. If you're serious about wanting to enhance your health, your goals, your mindset, your life, then reach out to me at yourlifeofimpact.com forward slash coaching or email me directly on brett at lifeintentional.com.au and I'll have all of these links in the show notes as well as everything else we spoke about in this chat. And you'll find the show notes on the website at yourlifeofimpact.com forward slash podcast for any of the episodes or for this specific one, it's forward slash happy. If you like this episode, please jump onto your podcast app and give us a five-star review. This helps immensely for me to be able to continue delivering value to you. It doesn't matter what app you're using, whether it's Apple Podcasts, which is formerly known as iTunes Podcast, whether it's Podcast Addict or Stitcher or whatever it is. You guys subscribing and downloading each episode is what keeps this podcast alive. And also, please share with your friends, your family, your community, and everyone you believe will benefit from this podcast. Don't forget to give me your feedback on what you loved and what you want to hear more of, so what value I can help bring into your reality. Reach out to us on social media, so Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Life for Excellence. That's at L-I-F-E-F-O-R-X-L-N-S. And you can also find us at yourlifeofimpact.com. And as always, remember, this is your life journey, your life of impact. Oh,